0: We pulled together an all-star team from WillowTree's growth marketing practice, plus experts from our valued tech partner, Braze. will weigh in on the team's concept around live event ticket sales, online streaming, and merch sales. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Room for Growth. Today, we are going to be talking about the fan experience. We are going to dig in deep. On um, some work that we have done inside of WillowTree to investigate the fan experience, the digital sports experience more broadly, and think of ways to make it better. So I'm excited to talk to you about who we have here um, to discuss their expertise in this space and some of the ideas that we've surfaced. Uh, all of our ideas should be very broadly available and accessible and applicable to. Anybody in any industry, it's not just sports, the lessons learned are good ones across the board, uh, but we're drawing from some deep experience that we have working in sports media in general with everyone from Warner Media to Fox Sports to WWE to the Pepsi Super Bowl halftime show. So we are excited to talk to you a bit about lessons learned and uh, some of the pain points happening in streaming today, as well as a live fan experience in stadiums and e-commerce more generally uh, also, we're going to talk a lot about how we partner with Braze to make fan experiences better. We are just five days out from the Braze Forge Conference. Willow Tree is a gold sponsor of that two-day experience that we love. Uh, we can't wait to get the chance to talk to more experts in this space and experts in Braze broadly. Uh, but we—it's—it's it's no secret we love our relationship with Braze. We are proud to be one of their leading uh, digital agencies and a partner that they trust when they have. Huge clients who are adopting Braze and need Braze to work fle- flexibly, but efficiently and functionally, uh, to help them reach their fans and solve really complicated challenges around how you personalize experiences, how you segment them, how you measure what is and isn't working, to not only create experiences that are delightful for fans, for customers, for users of all type, um, but really speak their language today. Uh, We have the team who worked on a project called Two Weeks to Better. This is a research project that we do inside of Willow Tree where we take a single challenge and we try to solve that challenge in as little time as possible. So something big and bold, but fast turnaround time for innovation. So I have the team that worked on Two Weeks to Better where we aim to improve the fan experience across digital streaming, across ticket purchasing and live events, as well as e-commerce and they are here to discuss some of the pain points that they surface that are happening for sports fans of all varieties, as well as some of the insights for some of the best places to be innovating these experiences to be better more broadly. Uh, so let's jump into the Dream Team, what they did, how they tackled uh, the sports challenge that I laid out already. Uh, so before we jump in, I'd love for you all to introduce yourselves. I will start, Rebecca, tell us who you are. You have been on Room for Growth before. Um, So you are a friend of the pod, certainly.
1: Oh, that's so nice. I'm so honored to be back. Wonderful to be um, on the podcast again. I am Rebecca O'Connor, Senior Growth Manager here at WillowTree. Had so much fun working on Two Weeks to Better with this amazing, talented group of our colleagues and really excited to dive into it more today.
0: Uh, Teresa, you've made a cameo on the podcast as well. So I'm not a first time guest, but first time in the hot seat here. Teresa, introduce Mm -hmm. yourself.
2: Uh, My name is Teresa Ceballos. I am a growth content strategist uh, here at Wiltree. Been with Wiltree for uh, over four years. Uh, Growth content strategy, meaning like uh, everything that kind of goes ultimately on a page, the words on the page and how they interact with the user experience of the page, as well as the design of it. And when I say page, I mean like, you know, really any digital interface.
0: And last but of course not least, also a friend of the podcast,
3: you can watch her episode on our Room for Growth landing page, I'm Melissa Baker. Hello, really happy to be back. Um, I'm a director in our growth marketing practice. I lead a lot of our projects in the marketing strategy as well as execution space, have a ton of experience deploying campaigns and strategizing within Braze. Uh, Excited to be back.
0: All right, before we jump into some of the best insights and ideas y'all had about how to change the sports experience, the sports viewing experience from a fan perspective for the better, I want to better understand the work that you did to understand current pain points around various fans of sports. I know that we didn't just look at basketball and football, for example, but we were really thoughtful about different types of fandom. Um, everything from fans of WWE to women's soccer and the Olympics and gymnastics and college sports versus professional sports. Uh, But before we dive in, please tell us just a little bit about what you uncovered and how you uncovered it about the state of the sports viewing experience today. Um, Teresa, I think you did a lot of this auditing from a content perspective just as a starting place. Maybe you could start by telling us some of the work that you did.
2: Yeah, for sure. So really just going to sports in general and and watching sports is, is personally a huge part of my life. So this was, it was kind of nice to do that for work. Um, uh, a couple of things that we did in the time period, uh, leading up to, to working on two weeks to better was like attended. I went to a Ohio state women's basketball game in Columbus where I live. I know Rebecca went to Fenway park in Boston where she lives. And, uh, what we tried to do was just Think really hard from a user perspective. Like, what what kind of information do I need before I attend this this game, and what kind of information do I want while I'm there? What kind of information do I maybe want after? And that's just a, a small piece of the puzzle. That's the live sports experience. Um, we also looked at some uh, just kind of interesting data about how uh, fans try to try to watch sports and how to how they make purchasing behavior about like the streaming platforms that they try to use uh, that super interesting thing that we uncovered is that uh, for some leagues, especially more kind of like niche uh, leagues that folks might try to follow, like I personally follow the uh, Women's Super League, which is the Women's Soccer League in England. And in order to watch those games, you have to be subscribed to maybe like five different services and then you get like free trials of one-on-one email and then you cancel that on the other one and you're trying to like spend we're spending like saturday mornings just figuring out like how to actually watch this thing that we're huge fans of and when you log into instagram or or a social media app you can get all this information just you know directly directly in that app experience and it's super accessible in certain areas so it just made us question like why is some information so accessible in some areas where it feels ubiquitous but it's actually sitting down and watching a game and having that experience is is just so inaccessible um that's that's really just kind of the, the main examples, I feel like, that we started to center around as we, as
0: we move forward. Yeah, it's so interesting because there's certainly challenges when you're thinking about watching sports live in person, about just the logistics of getting to the game versus what you're watching on the field or on the court or, or whatever sort of apparatus uh, the athletes are performing on. It's a different experience today entirely and shouldn't be underestimated to think about the fragmentation of streaming and how hard it can be to find any type of game, whether it's an NFL game, just figuring out what network is that game showing on, or if it is a more niche match or a a sport that's a little bit smaller in prominence, figuring out how to even view it can be a huge challenge out of the gate. Um, Alyssa, what else did you all find in terms of pain points?
3: Yeah. So in addition to what Teresa mentioned, uh, we organized a lot of focus groups just within Willow Tree. Um, We wanted to hear from from sports aficionados and fans, uh, we wanted to hear from them, you know, for the brands that they follow and the teams uh, and players that they're so passionate about. What are the things that they love that, you know, sports marketers are doing today? And how can we really continue to play off of that and expand on that, leveraging a platform like Braze? Um, but of course, we also dug into their pain points. Um, where are some of the parts of the journey that are creating unnecessary friction? And what are some things that we could do to help uh, solve for that? Um, and we also tried to make sure that we had a, a wide array of fans incorporated in our focus groups. Um, so, you know, everybody has a different level of fandom. You might be a diehard for a particular team. Um, you might be new to the sport, but really trying to learn more uh, and really want to get educated from other sports experts within that space. Uh, you might just be there to to bet on games. Uh, so we wanted to understand all those different nuances and make sure that we had that incorporated uh, in our focus groups. Uh, we also did a ton of desk research. Uh, and uh, lastly, we tried to pair as much data into the process as we could. Uh, typically, we'd be working with a client uh, on these challenges. Obviously, the one complexity with uh, this, this type of work is that it was hypothetical. So, you know, we didn't have actually a set of data that we could leverage and tap into. Um, but we were really able to lean on other fans, what we were seeing in the research and what we were able to kind of pull together from, um, other clients data and make some assumptions about what we were, what we would also be seeing in the sports space.
0: It's such an interesting moment that we're in, in sports where, uh, Taylor Swift has essentially taken over the NFL whether you like that or not, what I think the NFL is doing right is they're leaning into this moment to reach a new audience. Suddenly, they have somebody who's creating so many eyes in the NFL's direction. And rather than just continue as sort of business as always, the NFL is making a real attempt to say, hey, we have a huge group of women who may have never, not just women, but also Taylor Swift fans. I don't want to limit that to just women, of course. People of all genders who are tuning in simply because they love Taylor Swift Football is a complicated game. Let's take a minute and acknowledge why they're here. Let's onboard them appropriately. Let's slow down how we talk about the game of football to explain some of the rules and nuances here. What a fun moment in content change to think about how powerful just some simple changes can be to make the sports experience better for the fans who are coming to watch. Um, So those are really great points. Alyssa, love all of them. Rebecca, round us out here. Any other pain points that we missed? Well, Billy, I really like what you just said about the new fans. I think as Alyssa and Teresa
1: both mentioned, there are different types of fans that are coming to these games, and you could be a hardcore fan for one sport, occasional fan for another, a dormant fan for a third. Um, And as you're saying with these new fans watching football, um, this can be the experience across any sport and this is an opportunity to really use a tool like Braze to power that app experience is there a complicated nuance to a certain type of gameplay i know this was something that when we were doing this research teresa was constantly bringing up around basketball Um, is there something you know when i'm watching baseball and i see the umpires reviewing a call i want to know what are they talking about you know how does this review process work and what are they saying and These are things that people are really interested in or going a a level deeper on players. Certainly, people are watching games. They think, wow, that player is someone I already know or someone I'm newly interested in. They want to be able to click on them, follow them on social media, know more information about them. And we want to be able to leverage that preference and that interest in Braze to provide them with this customized and personalized experience around that player. And as you're talking about onboarding new fans as well, if we think about the pain point that Alyssa mentioned around where do I even stream this game, someone who's a hardcore fan certainly has figured out how to navigate this complex streaming ecosystem already, right? This is part of our viewing experience. But someone who hasn't watched in a while, they may need or is new to the the game, does need, Billy, as you mentioned, that specific onboarding experience to say hey look it's actually complicated to watch this on tv you can want to watch it all you want and you can have the interest to watch it but we need to really lower the barrier to entry um, for all of these different sporting events
0: um, One of the common problems that we're hearing from media executives across the board is that so much of the conversation around their sport is happening outside of platforms that the franchise actually owns. So it's happening on social media. It's happening because people get interested in the sport because they fall in love with a single player or a character, and they want to follow that person. And then they get a lot of their sports recap on Instagram, on TikTok, on all of these platforms where that's awesome. It generates so much buzz. There's a ton of power in creating these social networks. But if you are a basketball network, for instance, you are going to want those fans to eventually exchange a little bit of data with your business so that you can also talk to them. So thinking about how you create that content experience that a fan's really looking for around an individual athlete in your own properties is a really critical barrier. All right. So let's transition a little bit from the pain points that we uncovered and the primary challenges that we wanted to tackle into who we decided we would focus on to make the sports viewing experience better. Who has the biggest gap today in their expectations around how they'll be able to watch sports by streaming them, whether that's on an app or on a television? Um, Who will be able to buy tickets and have a wonderful experience at an event? Um, Who might be interested in purchasing Swag? who's having the biggest gap between what they want to experience and what they're actually experiencing? Who's having the hardest time? Who did y'all decide to focus on in terms of segments for two weeks to better? Naturally, we couldn't address every user need across this really rich, really diverse landscape. So where did you guys decide to focus your time and effort? Um, Rebecca, why don't you start on this one since uh, your bread and butter on this podcast was about lifecycle marketing best practices?
1: Well, I think we decided to focus on a few key segments and not just one, and we really focused on mixing, you know, what are the implicit and explicit preferences that people are giving us? So we want to give folks the opportunity to tell us. Many hardcore fans really dislike receiving push notifications about the sport. They don't want to have spoilers, and that's a very bad experience for them, and they'll entirely turn off push notifications if they receive something like that. Whereas a new fan maybe does want to be reminded. So one of the key experiences we focused on was spoiler-free pushes for folks who want that. That was an important segment. New fans were an important segment, and dormant fans were an important segment as well, thinking about how do we engage these people. And then also occasional fans. An example I always think of for this is WWE. I love WWE, but I don't watch all the time. They come to Boston only occasionally. If they're in town, certainly I'm gonna go see them, but I may not have seen last week's SmackDown or Raw, and I wanna be caught up on what are the storylines so when I go, I can really have the most immersive and complete experience and really understand what the matches for tonight's event are doing to advance the different storylines. So really making it easy for folks to jump back in if they are out of the loop for either a week, a month, a year. What kind of information do we need to provide them to, again, lower that barrier to entry and make sure they're having the best live event or streaming experience that they can?
0: Alyssa, again, another person who your entire claim to fame on the Room for Growth podcast, though I don't want to limit you to just this, <laughs> is the work that you've done in particular in engaging sports fans in streaming ecosystems. Uh Expand on what Rebecca said. Anything else that you'd add in terms of who was a really critical audience to think about what their experience is today and how we could make it meaningfully better?
3: Yeah. So as Rebecca alluded to, there were a lot of different fan segments that we considered when we were strategizing. Uh, We considered new fans, we considered dormant fans, we considered casual fans, and also, of course, can't forget about our hardcore fans. Uh, So one of the things that we'll typically do with our clients when we're looking at how do we prioritize one segment or two segments um, over the many that could potentially exist for our messaging and to really dial in um, is just based on perceived impact as well. Impact in terms of the customer experience, but also impact for the client, their bottom line, their revenue. Uh, So when we were looking at casual fans and hardcore fans specifically, those were two segments that we decided to really drill into um, because for hardcore fans, although looking at the data, they might be a relatively smaller percentage of the overall pie just relative to those other segments, we saw they have the greatest propensity to engage, the greatest potential for monetization in the future, for merch, for live event ticket sales, right? These are the diehards. So in terms of uh, the possibilities to really engage them and convert them, but also the risk that if we do over message them and create a bad experience, right, that they could churn and we could lose that very valuable user, we really wanted to focus on them. On the flip side, we also saw just looking at data as, uh, research as well, uh, that casual fans tend to represent a large piece of the pie. Um, so just in terms of sheer size and potential impact as well to convert them potentially one day into a diehard, uh, we chose to focus on them.
0: And then Teresa beyond just the talent that you have in thinking about what an entire content experience needs to be, when content is the product that the fan is showing up for, you care a lot about sports personally, and not every mainstream sport, some of them for sure, but some of those niche audiences as well. What were you thinking about when you were thinking about how content, and not just any content, but content that really speaks to individual user needs at that sort of like niche level that requires true fandom. It can't just be batch and blast, general messaging that you can put for any sport, but you have to be really mindful about some of the nuances of either the game, the players, uh, the cultural context behind it that bring fans together. Talk to us a little bit about where you saw the best opportunities to improve the experience altogether.
2: Yeah, for sure. So one thing I'll say about uh, content marketing in general, like my background, I, I started more so in B2B content marketing and that always felt like something that just made a lot of sense where there was a big user need for that when you're ma- when a business is making a purchase there's a lot of information that has to be consumed it's usually not just one individual who's buying you've got big buying committees big budget cycles stuff like that so then when i transitioned into b2c content marketing i wondered like what's the equivalent of that where you have to Make someone believe something. You have to use content and storytelling to make someone believe something in order to engage with your product and engage with your content. So that to me is is where like sports is just the the perfect consumer canvas for that. There are so many areas of it that are just ripe for storytelling. I mean, the game itself is you know a story with a you know beginning, middle, end, exciting pieces. But the stories that that can be told around the individual players uh, are just again an area where we know that consumers are looking for that information. Stories around individual teams, and this was something that we saw during COVID as well, when live sports were mostly on pause for a long period of time. The these franchises and these brands wondered how to continue to engage the end user that is not there's no live sports to watch, and there's none to, there's none that are available. So. And that's, it's another element too that, yeah, it's not COVID, but like the off season is another thing that uh, brands need to consider if their fans are becoming dormant during the off season. Are there ways that they can kind of adjust their metrics, adjust their expectations, but still continue to engage them? Because the players that you, you know, know and love and watch continue to live on and, and do cool things and, and engage with their communities in different ways uh,
0: throughout the off season. So um, that was kind of a, a, a fun unlock for me during this period. Yeah, totally. The seasonality of sports and thinking about well, what do you do in this entire off season this is a challenge that we had to tackle when we built the Super Bowl app. Because we that app is used for maybe a month leading up to the Super Bowl when all eyes are turned toward it. It's definitely used the day of the Super Bowl, but then what? How do you continue to take this investment and move it forward? It's a great challenge to be solving. Um, before we move into what your good ideas were that we pursued, so the ideas that we really validated and then determined we wanted to move forward, were there any ideas that we thought were awesome and then we either did some brave validation or we did some testing or uh, we did some analysis and decided, yeah, that's not the problem that we want to solve?
1: Great question, Billy. Certainly we had a really long list of ideas and we wanted to prioritize against technical lift, complexity, um, number of audience members reached, etc. When we first met with Will and Nick from Braze, they gave us a really valuable point of feedback on geolocation. And what we discussed was that geolocation used to be a really powerful and common targeting mechanism for g- things like geolocated push notifications, but that it's not so common anymore. Consumers are becoming more privacy conscious. Folks are not super willing to share their location with the app, sometimes, you know, only when the app is in use or um, even never. And so we we identified that that wasn't really a great use case. Perhaps it could be a fallback. Um, for It could be part of a targeting strategy, but it could not be kind of the core component of a targeting strategy around geolocated push notifications. Certainly, if we wanted to know folks going to the game, we would need their ticket purchase information. We couldn't rely um, simply on a geolocation.
0: Alyssa
3: or Teresa, any other ideas that we explored and then just decided to de-emphasize? We talked a lot during the, the user journey mapping about this pain point of when you purchase a ticket to a game, uh that process of actually being able to readily access your ticket at any time, uh, making sure that that's really available at your fingertips uh, often causes a lot of frustrations with the average user. Um, so we wanted to be able to simplify, make that process a lot more streamlined. Uh, we also talked as well about, right, how can we show you directions to your seat? How can you help uh, understand before you even get there? Uh, where your seat is relative to the actual stadium, Um, and then thinking about some of the other ancillary uh, types of content that we could promote while you're in stadium, uh, like concessions. Uh, These were all things that we decided just in terms of uh, sheer operational lift not to prioritize.
0: Yeah, a lot of things that had potentially the greatest business lift and that we know many of our clients and partners would be interested in because it would drive meaningful conversion, we actually ended up de-emphasizing for this thought experiment because we wanted to surface ideas that had a better intersection, sort of top right of our two by two matrix that really promoted user value and business value. Um, So concessions, while a wonderful thing to make sure fans know how to order them at the game tend to be things that businesses are already optimizing towards. And while we could see ways to improve them, we chose to look at the often more ignored areas of the fan experience that aren't as commercially viable or, are actually super commercially viable in terms of the impact they might cause in longer-term retention plays, but don't have that immediate response system to them just because we know so many franchises are already looking at many of those issues. Um, Let's jump into the ideas that we did decide were worth pursuing. So Rebecca, Alyssa, and Teresa, each of you give me one. What was one of our best ideas that we carried forward, and why did you think it was – a good idea, a viable idea, a feasible idea, and something that was worth considering what a better experience would be. Um, Rebecca, let's start with you.
1: Um, I think one of my favorite ideas is the differentiation between the in-stadium or in-arena or, you know, live event experience versus that home experience. It, it sounds so simple, but so many brands are not doing this today. And this, as Teresa just mentioned, folks are in the stadium watching the game, they do want to be left alone, right? So how can we really differentiate this experience? People have spent this money on tickets. This is a special experience for them, an exciting opportunity to see their team, their favorite players in person. How do we really ensure that they have the best experience there? And we're not telling them tune in to stream at 7 p.m. when they're at the game. Um, So I think I really like how we approach that. In the episode, and and we go into a lot of detail on how we would do that segmentation, and I think that's a really powerful um, but accessible experience to brands that folks can start implementing today, as long as they have the right um, the right information about ticket purchases in their Braze platform to segment those users.
2: Teresa, what was one of your favorite ideas that we doubled down on? My favorite, I think, was the kind of custom player cards and. custom information about players that you could have in your in-app or web experience and the way that you could tie in um, Braze content cards to that. Um, The idea of the digital property having kind of more information, more personal information about players and and also being able to personalize that per user as well and getting like double clicks and more information on specific players. Um, I really liked the idea of the in-app experience as kind of like the aggregator of information about players and like the hub of information. It didn't necessarily have to have every single detail about every single player, but it was a one-stop shop for being able to help you to find that information. Um, this kind of interesting thing that I was even seeing on a client recently where we had a single page at one, working on a, on a web project, we had a single page that had all the information that a consumer needed to know for an event that we did last year. And now when we're doing it for an event this year, we've got a hub of information, but we've got a ton more internal linking and a bigger focus on needing to have that information just accessible where consumers are already looking for it instead of making the focus on us as the brand. But again, turning that focus back to the user. And what we'll want to do is just, you know, reframe it when we look at the analytics. Like, was this an overall better experience for the user? Maybe this one page didn't hit, like, however many hundreds of thousands of views. But it's important to think about, again, like, from the user experience, did we accomplish what we need? And the business uh, results will, will line up
0: to that. Yeah, one of my favorites in that space is just the success that we're seeing in lots of different industries, integrating Spotify playlists from a brand Spotify playlists are sought-after content, and in sports, the soundtrack that goes with individual players' walkout songs, the background noise, the in-stadium experience, that's so much of the sensory um, experience that fans have, that giving them the option to carry that soundtrack or that playlist into their day-to-day or as part of the pump-up of what they do, such an easy fan engagement strategy one that's relatively cost effective. It has worked like gangbusters. And it's one that we really love to enable in embrace content cards. It is kind of technical. It has some important and challenging steps and considerations. Uh, but call our friend Teresa if you need that, because that's something that she has personally done for some of the clients that she's worked with.
2: Yeah, it kind of makes me think about the aggregators in like the financial services space, for example, that have disrupted that space, like the credit karmas or the plaids of the world where they're not necessarily the ones that are pulling all the information, but that that have all the information, but they're putting it in one place and they're helping the user get done what they're trying to get done. Just like made me think of like the
0: long, long long-term future of of sports. Totally. And the advent of AI in this space to be able to do that really well, brands who take advantage of how you can aggregate content more effectively with AI are going to get ahead because people love. There's a reason why people love lists. A short, you know, top five list works for a reason. And if you can apply that same concept in sports, you can really get ahead.
3: Yeah. So another uh, facet we focused on was onboarding, which I know uh, sounds and feels foundational. uh, But for a lot of brands, you know, we don't see many that are doing this well um, or it's non-existent. Um, And it's something that really has a detrimental impact uh, to app adoption where you don't have a a quality digital app onboarding experience. Uh, So the things that we focused on within this were first, uh, what it would look like to build, you know, natively within the app, a robust preference center where you're able to capture uh, preferences ranging from uh, what teams are you interested in, what players are you interested in, as But as well as uh, what uh, kind of cadence of messaging would you like? What types of messaging do you want to hear about? Whether that's uh, in-depth team statistics uh, to help you make uh, informed uh, sports betting decisions, uh, whether that's, uh, you know, updates on uh, team shifts uh, and, you know, free agency uh, tracker. Uh, There was a lot of different things, right, that we wanted to collect at the beginning um, and to kind of gauge those preferences. But another uh, aspect that we talked about as well was uh, how we could leverage other channels like in-app messaging uh, or even content cards um, that really allow you to uh, curate a message that has the look and feel of your brand uh, and also experiment around uh, different triggers and timing for when you might send that message. Uh, So for example, uh, one element that we talked about was uh, requesting location information, which can often uh, feel like such a sensitive a uh, piece of data for for a lot of customers and fans these days um and so with something like uh an in-app message uh you we can really be thoughtful about when we request a uh, location information uh for example you know potentially after a user purchases a ticket um to a nearby stadium and and really tell them how we plan to enrich their in-stadium experience by having that location information uh, versus, you know, normally other brands that might request that information um, at the wrong time and, and users don't fully understand that value proposition. Um, the last thing I'll say in this space, and I think this is something you talked about at the beginning, Billy, um, is that a challenge that a lot of brands have in uh, sports marketing, but also brands in general, is that so many different fan experiences... Are happening on third-party platforms, uh, so you know your your ticketing is happening on you know something like Ticketmaster. Um, merch might be purchased elsewhere, and so we lose all of that you know rich behavioral data that allows us to gauge what a fan is interested in. Which is why doing something like onboarding at the beginning of a user's experience is so helpful because it allows us to capture that critical zero-party data from the user itself. So we actually can make informed decisions about what types of content they would be interested in.
0: Before we go, I have a classic question for all three of you. Uh, It's a two-parter. So part one, what do you love most about Braze and the capabilities that we have with that platform to do this kind of sophisticated personalization? And then two, because we're a podcast all about how to create truly excellent customer experiences that drive brand loyalty, I want to know which sports brand you are loyal to and why. Um, And because I know Rebecca is getting so excited for uh, her favorite sports experience that's about to kick off, I'll start with you.
1: There's so many things I love about Breeze. Certainly, I think my favorite thing is all of the different channels that you can bring together and really just seamlessly orchestrate into a multi-channel experience. Constantly, Breeze is adding new channels. WhatsApp was just added this year, constant new feature and product updates. So it's really just such a wonderful tool to orchestrate these increasingly meaningful and increasingly personalized multi channel experiences. Um, and yes, it is playoff baseball time. So very exciting time of year for us baseball fans. Um, I'm a big, big fan of baseball. So really looking forward to watching these high stakes games and seeing who comes out on top.
3: Who do you root for, Rebecca? <laughs> <This is> confidential <laughs>
1: information. <laughs> yeah, so it's a complicated answer. I grew up a Yankee fan, but in Boston, I have to say my allegiances are shifting. So it's uh, it's tough. It's tough. that Red Sox are out. So this year, um, this year I'll probably, I don't know who I'll root for. <laughs> <It's hard.
0: laughs> um, on that note, Alyssa, why don't you tell us what you love about Braze for personalization and your favorite sports brand?
3: Yeah, so in terms of Braze, uh, for one, it's such an intuitive uh, tool to use as a marketer. Uh, But two, Rebecca already alluded to this. Uh, There's so many different features and functionalities that exist within the platform that uh, allow you to automate as a marketer. So uh, features like connected content that allow you to pull in content from other uh, data sources uh, in in order to integrate um, new and exciting uh, content in very seamless ways within your email. Um, There's also, you know, Liquid Logic, which allows you to personally personalize relatively easily and then uh, content blocks as well, um, which you can leverage within uh, your email strategy. It's something that we talked a lot about in the context of of in stadium um, um, emails. Uh, So, yeah, definitely the ability to just innovate, automate very quickly with all the features that they have available. So in terms of my favorite sports brand, I'm going to actually answer in terms of fitness, if that's all right with you. Yeah. Uh, I, I just absolutely love Peloton, uh, have the app, uh, and the avid cycler. Um, and I think they also do a really great job similar to what we were talking about for, um, other sports brands of really tapping into, uh, the fandom that exists with their instructors, uh, and creating experiences that allow people to, to follow them on social media but on their various digital properties um, and really tap into those affinities. And Teresa, round us out. Awesome.
2: Yeah, so for Braze, I think that that what's really special about this platform is the flexibility. Um, I've seen us work with a number of clients that have just massive, massive audiences and have really advanced, segmentation uh, desires and opportunities, or perhaps are already doing segmentation. And then we also have clients who have never segmented their audience before and are just doing this for the first time. And I've never come across any single one of them that's like, oh, we bought this platform and now it doesn't fit our needs. It's so flexible to the needs of specific clients. And that's just, you know, as a, a marketer using the platform and working with the clients, there's that's you can't get anything better than that. So. I think that's really wonderful. Um, in terms of my favorite sports brand, I fell in love with the Australia Women's National Soccer Team over the course of the World Cup, the Women's World Cup in this past summer. They call themselves the Matildas, uh, or like the Tillies, is their brand. And prior to the, so they hosted, they co-hosted the, World, the Women's World Cup in 2023 with New Zealand. And prior to the World Cup, they released this documentary that's available on Disney Plus called uh, The World at Their Feet. And it is a really, really wonderful profile of a number of the players uh, who play for the Australian Women's National Team. Some of them play in the States as well in their domestic leagues. Some of them play in, in Europe. And it does a really great job of telling the story of the growth of soccer and just the ability for women to play soccer in Australia talks a lot about kind of the cultural background of a lot of them who are native to Australia or have Aboriginal backgrounds. And it is just, uh, yeah, that team is uh, just full of resilience and the way that they have branded the team and and created so much media around it. Like the players are selling books. They're, again, like streaming this this, uh, TV show about it and doing more docu-series and stuff like that. So I just, I love the way that this federation specifically has rallied around this team and created so many marketing opportunities around. It. I think it's a, like a masterclass in that.
0: Well, Teresa, Alyssa, Rebecca, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your insights and how we are working to create a better fan experience. Uh, I hope to keep the conversation going at Brace Forge. So for anyone who will be there, see you next week. Can't wait to be there. And in the meantime, to all of our listeners, we will uh, talk to you again next week. Let us know if you have any questions, comments, ideas, if you're an expert in this space or you see a fan experience that just needs to be better. We would love to hear from you. So thank you for joining us.